ever thought about that in your life? That God right now is gloriously dipping you and I in the fire lovingly with compassion and mercy and he's going to pull us out when he sees his reflection in us welcome to this day in the word with pastor John Couch the radio teaching ministry of this day ministries it is a joy to have you listening today and we pray that you will be encouraged challenged and motivated to live for God like never before And now, with today's message, here's Pastor John Couch. Father, we come before you again, and just out of dire need, in desperation, we look to you, we cling to you, we hope in you. So God, I pray that as you would speak to our hearts even right at this moment for those that are struggling, for those that perhaps the wounds are self-inflicted, perhaps for those who the wounds have been inflicted by others. God, I pray that we'll see from Your Word today that, that our pain has purpose, And that it's all about Your glory. So Father, we at this moment ask You to prepare our hearts. We pray against pridefulness. We pray against a spirit of rebellion and defiance. We pray against bitterness, unforgiveness. We pray that we'd have a heart that is fertile soil, that we would receive the Word of God gladly. And so, Father, if we have a stony heart, God, I pray that You would break through and give us a heart of flesh. God, we pray against the schemes of the enemy, his vices, his deceptions. We pray that they would come to nothing in our lives and that we'd walk in freedom and joy and peace that comes by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so as we open Your Word, God, I pray that the words would come off the page today. I pray that we would hear fresh and new from You and only You. Move the messenger out of the way so that we would Just see the man who is the message, and his name's Jesus. And so, God, we give you this time because it's yours, not ours. We worship you, and we pray this in the mighty and the matchless name of King Jesus and all God's people said, amen. Take your Bible and turn to James, James chapter 5, as we're looking at two verses today, verses 10 and 11, and as you're turning there, just going to continue to promote and champion our theme that we are looking to be all in for God's glory in 21, all in in 21, and and what does that look like? You know, so often it's easy to start a New Year's resolution, and here we are on day 10, and the whole thing has completely collapsed already, you know what I'm saying? Uh, we tried a diet, we tried an exercise routine, and we went out and bought an exercise machine, and, and now it's just a real expensive clothes rack. And it seems like those things happen, don't they? It just, we have good intentions, but, but good intentions don't always lead to commitment. We can have a resolution, but the real question is, are we committed? Are we all in? Do we own our discipleship, which by the way is each of our own personal responsibility. We can do a a study, and that's a good thing by the way. We can gather, that's a good thing. But if we're not committed, if we're not minding the Scriptures, if we're not in the Word, how will we give away what we ourselves don't possess? It's going to be impossible Because when you and I are under pressure and all of us 
fight this world and the pressure that it's in. And in this world, you will have tribulation. You will have thalipsis. You will have pressure. There's going to be a pressure that's pushing in on you and I of everyday life. When that happens, we can be of good cheer. How? Why? Because we know that Jesus Christ has overcome the world. And yet the reality is that when you and I are under the pressures of life and we're squeezed, what is in us will come out of us. Whatever you're pouring into your heart and your mind, when you are under the pressure of life, is what's going to rise to the top and what's going to come out. If the Word of God is what you are pouring into your heart and your mind and you're feasting on it, that when you were in those difficult moments and those trials and those tribulations and the suffering and the persecution, you will dig deep. Church, you will go deep into the wellspring of your hearts. And it will begin to exude like a fountain of life. But if you're partially in which actually means you're totally out. When, not if, but when the persecution hits, and it will, you will bend, buckle, and break. I don't know if you're aware, but our country's in trouble. And the reality is the persecution is coming. It would be foolish of me, your pastor, it would actually be spiritual malpractice for me to stand here after I've watched now for a long period of time and been saying this for a number of years, what is about to unfold. The reality is that when we as a nation continue to kick God in the shins, there's going to come a point in time where He's had enough. And the reality is we live in a post-Christian country. That's the reality. And it's high time that believers, true believers, not false ones, but true ones, not in any way, shape, or form, hear me clearly, not in any way, shape, or form, rise up in a violent way, not in any way, shape, or form, comma, but it's okay to say, as for me and my house, we're serving the Lord." We need some men and women, some students that are, that are willing to stand in the gap and say that even if none go with me, I'm still following Jesus. Because how will a world know? Think about that. How will a world know? How will they believe? Not intellectually, not just emotionally, but there's an act of the will where it becomes real and raw and true. How will they believe if they see those who profess to know Christ not really live a life for Christ. You know, discipleship is key. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. It's pretty simple. Here's what He means. If you love me, obey me. And here James so beautifully comes through this text here in verse 10 now as we look at the sermon title today of Patience and Suffering Part 2. And here's what the Word says, not what I say, but what the holy, inspired, inerrant Word of God says as we lift it high, as we submit to it, submit under it joyfully. Here's what it says, and I pray you have a Bible open and a pen and your notes ready. James 5, verse 10 and 11, as an example of suffering and patience, make a note, there's a reason why those two are connected, brothers, fellow believers, Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Now look at verse 11. Behold, we consider those blessed. Okay, very interesting. Blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. And you have seen the purpose of the Lord. Don't miss that. How the Lord is what, church? Compassionate and merciful. We're in part two of patience and suffering, and part one was actually two weeks ago, because James, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, threw in verse 9. And there in your Bible, as we looked at last week, verse 9 simply 
says this, do not grumble, do not complain against one another. Now remember, he's talking about the fellowship of believers here. And so he says, don't complain against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Okay, wow. Behold, the judge, capital J, is standing at the door. Did you notice this? So we're not to grumble, we're not to complain, not to be discontent, not be irritated, especially during our persecution. The whole context here, again, are Jewish believers who are dispersed, they're persecuted. And what happens when we are suffering? Well, often, at least if you're like me, you typically don't default to worshiping and praising the Lord when you're suffering. What do we do? Well, we bellyache. We complain, don't we? It's, this wasn't the plan. This isn't what I signed up for. And so I'm following you, God, for your praise, your glory, and you reward me with suffering. I mean, a big bag of suffering. It's got like a big red bow on it. Merry Christmas. And it's so easy to begin to complain. It's so easy to be discontent. And James in those verses preceding nine, is outlined some of the suffering, and then he initially pauses and said, i got to say something here, because before we get to part two, I'm already hearing some rumbling and some grumbling, some stumbling, some fumbling, and some crumbling, and i got to do something about this. He says, wait a minute, the judge, Jesus, he's standing at the door, He's got his hand on his courtroom, and here's what he's going to do. He, he's going to judge. He's, he's going to separate the sheep from the goats, and don't forget that. The judge, yes, has the power to condemn, but the judge also, church, has the power to say not guilty, that Jesus Christ, think about this for a moment, that He is the judge, and because of His royal righteous blood for you that have truly given your life to Him, it's not a charade, it's real, it's true. When you have done that, here's what's going to happen. On that day, God's going to look through the royal righteous blood of His Son, and even though you and I have sinned and are sinners, He's going to look at you and me and go, spotless as white as snow. There's nothing greater in this life we could attain for than to be redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. So then James ventures and journeys back around to this theme of suffering in verse 10. And I love the thought of the total vindication for the believer under the blood of Christ. Amen. Not partial, not hoping, not wishing, not crossing fingers and toes. This is, I know my Redeemer lives and I've given my life to Him. My life is no longer my own. And no matter what comes into my life, I rest in His hands. There's nothing greater. And James says in verse 10, as you suffer, as an example of suffering, verse 10 of James 5, and patience, brothers, take the prophets. Look at the prophets who spoke in the name of who? The Lord. Do you see that, church? So, do you see the mission? See, the prophets knew the mission. When you know the mission, you will begin to live the mission. As you know it, you internalize it. As you know it, it becomes part of you. You, you don't deviate. You don't bend and buckle and break. You're not looking for the exit ramps. You're saying, this is the mission, and no matter what comes into play, no matter what obstacles hit my path, I will not be moved. You think about suffering. Giving your life to the Lord does not exempt you from suffering. I know you can turn on particular televangelists that would unfortunately teach you that heretical statement that you are now alleviated, but that's nowhere in Scripture. 
Matter of fact, what did Paul say there in 2 Timothy? 2 Timothy 3, 12, he says this, for those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Like it's part of what you're signing up for. This is on the contract that when you give your life over to Christ, that you will, if you're really going to live for Christ, at some point in your journey, you are going to be persecuted in some way, shape, or form. If you claim to be a believer today, and you're telling me that you've been doing this for years, I mean year after year after year, and you're not facing any persecution at all, I'd go back and check your salvation. If you really live for light in the midst of darkness... At some point, you're going to face persecution. I was thinking about that thought. James, so beautifully, as only the Holy Spirit could do, weaves a tapestry here. Here's what he says in verse 10. As an example, as a representation of suffering. Here in the original, it's referring to evil mistreatment. So, pause there for a moment. So, for you that that go to work, you have a family, you have friends, etc. If you are living for the Lord, at some point, you are going to be mistreated for your faith in the one who took your place. Just embrace this. It's a lot easier to get through it when you embrace what's coming, amen? I can remember as a boy growing up and, you know, mom would run around the house with a ruler and I thought it was funny. But I heard the door close at 5.01 and dad started pounding through the house, right? And that was an uh-oh moment, wasn't it? And the only way I got through those loving forms of correction was I knew what was coming. But we got to prepare. It would be absolutely insane to just think that somehow this culture is going to magically reform itself. I believe things are going to get a lot worse before they get better. And my job is to arm myself and arm you with the gospel, the truth of God's word, that when you are in these situations at the workplace, when you're there at the family reunion, and the persecution is coming, and you say, you know what, I love you, I respect what you're saying, but I stand on God's truth, and I know you don't like it, and I know this is going to cause friction and division, but know that I do this out of a heart of love, out of compassion for you, that, that I care for your soul, and, and, and I want the best for you. And, and they still, they still slander you. They defame your name. How will you stand tall in the furnace of affliction? How will you do this if you're in there by yourself? See, James says, take the example. Look at the example of these prophets who had this suffering, this affliction, this evil treatment, but they also had patience. I love this. Very interesting. He goes, look, here's what they had. They had suffering, much evil treatment. But what happened, they also had patience. They had perseverance. They had endurance. They had this long suffering. And and by the way, when you think about this, just from a deductive reasoning standpoint, you cannot have biblical patience without suffering. I mean, just think about this for a moment. How do you get patience? Well, you live a life of ease and comfort, and nothing ever goes wrong, right? Well, of course not. You develop patience as you go through the furnace of the trials and the afflictions. It's building the muscle. It gets stronger when the weight is placed on you, and as you lift the heavier weights over and over, you build up the strength. God is right now, I believe, calling the American church 
to wake up and to begin to build the spiritual muscle. We'll never be able to give away that which we ourselves do not truly possess. I was thinking about this thought that really hit me in key number one. I want you to write it down in your notes. Key number one. Here it is, key number one. As you endure suffering, be encouraged and strengthened through the patience of the prophets of old who endured as well. Let me say that again. Write this down. Key number one. As you endure suffering, and you will, and you are, all of us are to some degree, but I'm talking about a suffering of persecution for our faith especially. As you endure this suffering, be encouraged and strengthened. How? Why? Through the patience, the long-suffering, the endurance of the prophets of old who endured as well. What does it mean to encourage someone? Well, we are the fellowship of encouragement. That's just not a cute tagline that sounded good, so let's add it on there. There's a reason behind it. And that word encouragement, when you study that in the New Testament, does have an element of consoling, but it also has a firmness behind it. Look at it this way, that when you encourage someone, you and I prayerfully are putting courage into that person. We are saying, I want you to be encouraged as you go through the trial to not fold, to not bend, buckle, and break, but stand tall. We are encouraging, we are uplifting, we are prayerfully inspiring that person to not lose heart. I pray through key number one that as we endure the suffering, that we will look to the prophets as great examples. I mean, you think about the prophets, think about what they endured, so many Elijah and Elisha and Isaiah, and oh, what about Jeremiah? What about Jeremiah, the weeping prophet? Think about this for a moment. So there, there Jeremiah is and all his other counterparts, and so many of these guys suffered so greatly. I mean greatly. Here was their message. Uh, repent, you stiff-necked, hard-hearted people. Well, that'll get you invited back to preach, won't it? I think it was Ravenhill that said that... Uh, I've preached in every church once. You know, you think about this, that when there's a biblical message being proclaimed, that it's not the laser light shows and the smoke machines and the tattoos and everything else that goes on that, that it is so attractional. And I was thinking about that today on the drive over. I thought, you know, it's so interesting that we've created unwittingly at times this, this model of we want to attract. It's like entertainment, right? We just kind of sit there and watch the show. Oh, understand this, that as I preach, I pray that I'm worshiping, but I pray as you listen, you're worshiping as well. I mean, just beginning to worship from your soul. And yeah, that rubs against the American model, doesn't it? Be entertained. Feel good. Be comfortable in your sin. Rationalize, deny, blame shift. And Jeremiah and his counterparts were so determined to leave it all in the field with no regrets. And these stiff-necked, rebellious, hard-hearted people, they refuse to repent. They refuse to turn from their wickedness. And here's an example in Jeremiah chapter 20. Write that down. Jeremiah 20, 7b through 11. He gives you some insight, a glimpse into his world. If you think that he had it easy, that he was floating around on clouds, eating bonbons, playing a harp, singing kumbaya, you're wrong. Here's what happened in his world. Jeremiah 27b and following, I have become a laughing stock all the day. Sounds exciting, huh? Everyone mocks me. Wow. For whenever I speak, I cry out. I shout violence and destruction. For the word of the Lord has become for me a reproach and derision all day long. Do you get the sense this guy is ready to hit the done button? 
If I say I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, there is in my heart, I love this, as it were a burning fire, a burning fire that could not what be shut up in my bones. And I am weary with holding it in, and I cannot, for I hear many whispering, whisperers, whisperers, terrors on every side. Denounce him. Let us denounce him. Say, all my close friends. Did you catch this one? All my close friends. Be careful who you hang out with. Bad company corrupts. They're watching for my fall. Perhaps you will be deceived, they say. Then we can overcome him and take our revenge on him. Verse 11, but the Lord. I love that, don't you? Anytime you read, but the Lord, watch out. But the Lord is with me as a dread warrior. Therefore, my persecutors will stumble. They will not overcome me. They will be greatly shamed, for they will not succeed. And all God's people said, wow, isn't that good? You're listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. All of Pastor Couch's messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. In addition, you can share your prayer requests with us via email. Our email address for prayer requests is prayer at thisdayministries.org. That's prayer at thisdayministries.org. And now, back to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch. We're not hoping and wishing for the victory. For the true believer, we operate from the victory. We know our Redeemer lives. No matter what happens in our culture, in our country, on every level of deception, the bottom line is this, keep your eyes focused on Jesus. These prophets endured, they suffered, they're mocked and ridiculed, and you will be too. And some of you are enduring this, but your own family members who profess to know Christ are living a life that doesn't give evidence of this. Question. Will you lose heart? Or will you press on? I love Hebrews 12.3 for some encouragement to put courage into you. And that's what that word means. To put courage into. You literally come alongside again and you just put the courage into and say, don't give up. Hebrews 12.3 Consider Him who endured from sinners such hostility against Himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Do you see this? Let me read this again. If you're discouraged today, if you're right there, you are living for the Lord, and you have a family member or other family members that are persecuting you for your faith in Christ, here it is. Hebrews 12.3, consider, look as, what that means. It means take your gaze and shift it over to Christ. Look to Him. Look to Him who endured so much hostility from sinners that you yourself, what? may not grow weary, not grow faint-hearted. It's amazing what happens when you see someone else go through difficulty, isn't it? What does that do? What does that do when you know that someone else has walked the road before you? Doesn't that stiffen your spine? When someone comes alongside of you and says, hey, I've walked this road, I've been there, I know it's hard, I know it's difficult, there are no easy answers here, just head down, plow through it, God's going to get you through, doesn't that encourage you? It does something to your spirit, it infuses a zeal, if you will, that says, I know that with my God and with my comrades in the battle for Christ, as we charge the hill with the banner of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we will not be deterred. And watch what God does through your obedience. 
Because patience, church, here's the reality, it's forged, it's tested, and it's revealed in the furnace of suffering. Your patience in whatever you're dealing with today, top-level persecution from others because of your faith in Christ, other suffering you might be dealing with, here's the reality. It's forged. It's fashioned. You take steel and that metal and they they put it in that, that hot molten fire. And they begin to bend it. It's pliable. It's, it's flexible. It gets formed. God is forming you. He's shaping me in the furnace of affliction. And He does this not because He's mean. He actually does it because He loves us. He says, I love you, my child, and I'm fashioning you into the likeness of my Son. I remember that illustration years ago of the, the silversmith And there was a tour of people that had come to watch him work, and there he is working diligently and and taking the substrate and putting it into the molten there, and it's hot, and he's he's forming it and shaping it, and as it goes into that mixture there and then comes out, and he's just doing his work over and over, over and over, and the, the group behind him, one person pipes up and says, hey, mister, how do you know when it's ready? How do you know when it's done? How do you know when it's complete? And without even looking up, he says, oh, that's easy. It's when I'm able to look at it and see my reflection. Ever thought about that in your life? That God right now is gloriously dipping you and I in the fire, lovingly, with compassion and mercy. And He's going to pull us out when He sees His reflection in us. It's so important that we think through these thoughts. You cannot ascend the mountaintop of patience by circumventing the fiery furnace. You can't do it. It just can't happen. wish I had better news. But that's not how this works. We're in a flawed, broken, depraved, wicked world. In order for God to get the dross off of me, I have to go through the fire. It's painful. It's brutal. But this is what has to happen to me and to you. And so let's not rebel against it. Let's understand that God's furnace of affliction always has a purpose. You think through the the thought of being flawed. And the suffering that comes with that. And often that suffering is the crucible that God uses to, to scrape it away. To scrape away the dross, the impurities. Like right now, He's, he's scraping my life and your life. The pride and, and the bitterness and the unforgiveness and self-reliance. And on and on I could go. Pointing at me. On and on I could go. And God graciously is helping me go to war against those indwelling sins that, that, that get so ensnared and caught around my heart and my soul and my mind. And He's scraping just gloriously and lovingly like a good, good father would do. It's painful, but it's necessary. And that's why in verse 11, our last verse, it says it like this, James does in James 5.11, Behold, we consider those blessed interesting, who remain steadfast. You heard of the steadfastness of Job. Easy life. And you've seen the purpose of the Lord. How the Lord is compassionate, don't miss this, and merciful. So think about this. So right there in verse 10, he's talking about all that's going on with the patience and suffering, and the two are intertwined. From a biblical view, patience and suffering are intertwined. They are bedfellows. They go together. That as you suffer, you do it knowing that God is working. He's working behind the scenes. And as you see that unfold, then all of a sudden, verse 10, he goes, well, behold, listen up. Let me get your attention is what he's saying. Listen up, reader. Behold, consider those blessed. Wait a minute. Let me get this straight. Suffering, patience, 
I typically don't think of those as blessings. I mean, think about this. Suffering and patience. Do you typically think of those as blessings? So we've got to change our thinking. When we change our thinking, we will change how we behave. And as we begin to change our thinking by the renewing of our minds, Romans 12, 1 and 2, that we're transformed and renewed by our minds through the Word, the living fountain of the Word. Behold, consider those blessed, they're happy, they're content, they remained steadfast, they, they did not flee is what that means. They were strong with courage. They were strong with fidelity. They would not bend. They wouldn't buckle in the furnace. They made a declaration on the front end to say, this is my call. This is what God has placed upon my life. I'm not going to run from it. I'm actually going to run to Him that He might use this for His glory. Well, it's hard to do though, isn't it? You've heard of the steadfastness of Job. <laughs> His name means the cry of woe. Anyone's name mean that? The cry of woe? We had it easy, didn't it? Easy life for Job. But he lost everything, didn't he? Think about this. He lost everything. He's got friends who are constantly coming at him, not pouring in godly wisdom. He's got a wife who says, literally, curse God and die. And what does Job say? What's his response? Here's his response. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away, but blessed be the name of my God. Though he may slay me, yet I will trust in him. That's a man who is either insane or he really believes in this God that can raise the dead. Think about this phrase in verse 11. And you have seen the purpose of the Lord. Don't miss this. As we begin to tie this together today, church, don't miss that. And you have seen the purpose. What is it? The aim, the goal, the end result of the Lord. How the Lord is what? He's compassionate. Literally, He's kind. But even deeper, he looks at you and I and our sinfulness and has a, a tender pity. A tender pity. He's compassionate. What else is he right there? He's merciful. He's merciful. Think about this. Compassion and mercy that Jesus extends to those who patiently endure. Think about this. It's so beautiful how this ties together that as you endure the trials of life, as you endure the persecution for your faith, Jesus the judge, He's there. He's there to say, I got you. I got you in this. As you stand tall for me, I stand tall for you. As you stand tall for me, I stand tall for you. He's there. He will vindicate me in you. If we're really in Him and He's in us. That's why key number two is so important. Key number two, here it is, write it down. Determining to remain steadfast on the front end of the suffering. Determining to remain steadfast on the front end of the suffering is mission critical to not losing heart. Let me say this again. Determining to remain steadfast on the front end of the suffering is mission critical to not losing heart. If you and I wait till we get in the furnace, we're going to be looking for exit ramps. That's what we do, don't we? I don't want to go through this. But if we make a declaration on the front end that whatever God allows into our lives, that we're going to say, God, even if you don't go my way, I'm still going your way. Even if you say no, I'm still saying yes to you. When you begin to live that life, church, that's going to preach a thousand messages to the people around you. Think about the, the courage and the substance it's going to take to live out that message when your back's against the wall and your life is unraveling. You can't fake it. 
It's going to have to be real and true. And when you hang on to Jesus and He is hanging on to you, watch the sermon your life is now going to preach as you go about your daily business. Look for God's purposes, church, in your pain. And you'll discover that patience is being fashioned. If you begin, if I begin to look for God's purposes in the pain, begin to weed through it, weed through it, just begin to pull back and go, oh, wait, there it is. I see it. Oh, there's, there's one of God's purposes. Oh, wait a minute. There's another one down there. Oh, there's another one. It's going to begin to create a patience, a steadfastness, an endurance, an encouragement, a hope that only He can create. Because, I don't know if you know this, but the suffering you endure, especially the suffering of evil mistreatment for your faith, can actually lead to the purpose for your life. Think about this. How many times have you seen someone who's endured such suffering and heartache, and yet now that's their platform? That's actually now their platform that God is using to draw people to Himself. And so often we don't see that. I know I don't. I struggle with this. God has a purpose for your suffering just like He had for Job's life. That's why when you're tempted to fear, be anxious and worry and fret and all the other things we struggle with, replace that nonsense from the enemy with truth of God's Word. Immediately do a quick exchange. It comes into the mind we think about it, replace it immediately with the truth of God's Word. You say, well, how are you going to do that? Well, you got to get in God's Word. Begin to mine the Scriptures. Make note cards. Have them everywhere. God, categorize them for fear and worry and bitterness and unforgiveness. Anytime the enemy brings that into your life, do the quick exchange and literally hit the enemy with the Word. Hit the enemy with the Word. Thinking about the Word, how about these verses to support this? Key number two, how about Job? Go back to Job for a moment, 19, 25 through 26, as he looked towards the cross. Job 19, 25 through 26, here's what he said, for I know that my Redeemer lives, and at that last, what? He will stand upon the earth after, yes, and after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God. Did you catch that? Do you see the hope? Do you see the longing for His eternal reward? He knew this. This earth was not His home. He was looking to be with the one who took His place. And yet how much time do we spend planning for retirement physically And how little time do we spend planning for retirement spiritually? What about 2 Corinthians chapter 4 to give us some hope and encouragement? 2 Corinthians 4, 16-18. Here's what Paul writes to the church in Corinth. He says, so we do not lose heart. There it is. Though our outer self is wasting away, Our inner self is being renewed. Don't miss this church. In the midst of your pain, God's working. He's renewing in the midst of your pain for this light, momentary affliction. How many times do you go through a trial and you look at your trial and say, oh, that's light. That's momentary. I don't. But the Word of God says, for this light, it's light. How is it light? It's momentary. How is it momentary? This affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So see, here's the key, church. See, when we're comparing ourselves to others in the world, it's not going to be light. It won't be momentary. But when you go back to Hebrews 12, verse 3, and consider Jesus who endured such hostility from sinners, lest we become weary and discouraged in our souls. Do you see the connection? We're going to see these trials and these sufferings and go, boy, they are light. They're momentary in comparison, in comparison to the glory which shall be revealed. See, it's all about where our gaze is, church. Where's your gaze in 21? Is it on self? Or is it on Jesus? We've heard from Job. 
the jacked up church in Corinth, as we look, verse 18, not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, but the things that are seen are transient or passing away here today and gone tomorrow, but the things that are unseen are eternal forever. And then Paul writes to the church in Philippi in Philippians 3. You may wonder, why do we have so many Scriptures each and every gathering? Well, the best commentary on Scripture is Scripture itself. And so Philippians 3 supports key number 2 beautifully, 13 through 14. Paul writes, brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own. One translation says that I, I don't consider that I've apprehended or made it. But one thing I do, just one, forgetting what lies behind and straining. I mean, straining. Are we getting this church? Straining. So Paul knew this. He said, look, I have been so blood-bought by the, the, the blood of Jesus Christ that I've sharpened the pencil of my life down to one thing. Just one thing. I've narrowed it down to one thing in my life. I'm going to forget not be under the control of the old man who I used to be, but I'm going to strain. I'm going to, with every fiber of my being, take this human vessel and to live all the days of my life for the glory of God. There's going to be a lot of pain in that offering. Because you're going to have family members and co-workers and, yes, even good church folks who will come against you. Paul didn't care how, why. Well, here's why. When you're no longer hanging on to your life, it's real easy to give it away. And yet so many believers, I fear, across our country are claiming to know Jesus and He knows them but they're hanging on to their life with fists that are clenched. I strain forward to what lies ahead. Verse 14 of that same text. I press on towards the goal for the prize. I love this. For the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The greatest prize you could ever acquire is crossing that finish line. And I pray that we cross it. I pray we cross it and not cruising, not coasting. I pray we break the tape. Armor is all beaten up. We got fiery darts hanging out everywhere, don't we? We've been fighting the battle. We're like, God, here, here's the armor. I know it looks pathetic, but here it is. I'm giving my armor back to you, and I just can't wait to hear. I long to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. What a day that's going to be, Amen. For those that are truly in Christ, for those that aren't, the reality is there'll be a lot of good church-going people, but on that day, we'll be eternally separated from the Lord forever without any do-overs. Remember back in James chapter 1, in case you're curious how James is keeping this theme, write down James 1, 2 through 3. Remember, he gave us this easy verse that's so simple to live by. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know, there it is, there's an intimacy there, there's an intellectual, there's an emotional, but there's an act of the will. You know, there's confidence that the testing proving to be true of your faith produces, there it is again, steadfastness endurance. You see this? Right there in James 1, now we're in James 5, do you see the two themes? Beautiful bookends. Count it, consider it, embrace it all joy. That's hard to do. You and I can't do it in our flesh. The only way we can do this is by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's why they take away question, or questions rather. They take away questions. Here they are. Number one, is God using my suffering as a catalyst to attempt to get my attention? Ask yourself that. Is God using my suffering, make it personal, as a catalyst to attempt to get my attention? 
You know, we all have this toddler in us, don't we? This desire to rebel. Don't want to listen. Don't tell me what to do. There's a resistance, a defiance in all of us to some degree. Perhaps God is allowing the suffering to get our attention. I do want to make a note here that please understand that not all suffering is due to sin. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, go back to 2 Timothy 3.12, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So there's going to be suffering if you're going to follow Jesus. But also, let me give you an example from God's Word. Write down John 9, 1 through 3. John 9, 1 through 3. And here's what was said in this wonderful account. It says here in the Gospel of John 9, 1 through 3, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples, think about this, there they are, and his disciples asked him, here they go, Rabbi, who sinned? Okay, let's pause there for a moment. Let me read this again. As he passed by, Jesus passes by, he saw a man blind from birth, and so his disciples asked one question, who sinned? Him or his parents? That's where they boiled this thing down to. He's afflicted, he's suffering, who sinned? Jesus answered, verse 3, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Do you see this? It's all about the glory of God. It's not on a t-shirt, a coffee mug, or a doormat. It's real and it's raw for the true believer. Your aim in life, my aim in life, must be the glory of God in everything we do. When we suffer, yes, we go, God, I don't like this. This is lousy. This stinks, comma. But I want to worship you in the storm. I want to praise your name. I know you're working behind the scenes. You're doing something. You're not asleep at the wheel. You're actually doing something. And as we submit, and that's so hard to do, that's when God becomes the real potter and we're the clay. And He begins just to fashion us and mold us and make us into His glory and praise. That's why the second takeaway question goes like this. Do I wait patiently, expectantly, and confidently for the Lord's return? Ask yourself that. Do I, do you wait patiently, expectantly, and confidently for the Lord's return? Think about Titus 2.13. Titus 2.13. Beautiful, beautiful summation of this thought. Waiting for our blessed hope. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you and I, do we wait expectantly? Are we more excited about the ball game coming on in the afternoon than the return of Christ? Oh, we must be a church, we must be a people all across our country that longs for the Lord to return. That's going to be such a beautiful day. I was talking with someone here just recently, and one of their relatives had passed on, and definitely a true believer in Christ, no doubt about it, from every evidence you could see. And here's the deal. They're now in the presence of Jesus. Do you think they would ever want to come back here? Not a chance. And it's so easy just to think this earth is our home. No, we're passing through. We're here today and gone tomorrow. And we each have a mission. Are you fulfilling the mission for your life? Yes, especially in the midst of your suffering. That's why the action step is so important. And here it is. In the midst of suffering, I will seek to cling to Jesus and praise Him in the storm. Action step. In the midst of suffering, I will seek to cling you're straining. One thing we do to strain, to cling to Jesus, grab Him by the ankles and say, I'm hanging on for dear life. I'm going to praise You in my storm. I don't get it. I don't understand what You're doing, but I know You're working. I know from Your Word You're working. And You don't lie, God. And when Your Word speaks, it's true. And I know You're working behind the scenes. I'm going to trust You. That's why Hebrews, our last supporting verses says it like this, Hebrews 6, 17-20. Hebrews 6, 17-20. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews said. Just a glorious 
glorious bow that we put here on the message. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs, did you catch that? The heirs of the promise. Are you an heir? Are you a son and a daughter of the high king? The unchangeable character, immutable, he does not change of his purpose. Don't miss this church of his purpose. He guaranteed it 100% bulletproof with an oath. So that, there's those two words again, so that by two unchangeable things in which it's impossible for God to lie, we who have fled, I love this, for refuge might have strong encouragement. I pray right now that as you are fleeing for refuge, because we're all fleeing to refuge in someone or something, I pray you're fleeing to Jesus, that you'd have a strong encouragement to hold fast. Here it is, to the hope that's set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner. Don't you love this? He goes before us. He paves the way on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. What does an anchor do? Well, a good one secures what it's tied to question for you today, what are you anchored to? See, it's so easy to be partially in when we're really totally out. And if you're partially in, you're totally out. If you're partially in, you're not anchored. You're not anchored to Christ, that is. And I appeal to you today, I plead with you today, be anchored to Jesus. This is the time for the bride of Jesus Christ all over our country to be all in for His glory. And yet it's so easy to drift, isn't it? Just one small compromise leads to small compromise number two. And before we know it, we're on three and nine and twelve and thirty-seven, and we've drifted. It reminds me of our days back in, in Florida, especially growing up, we'd go to the beach And I can even right now, I can picture the the sunshine glistening on the water. Bad illustration for a cold Virginia day, amen? I can right now, I can hear the seagulls. Quiet out there as I would climb onto the raft. And I would get on the raft and you would just lay there and it was amazing, right? Peaceful. Not a care in the world. It was comfortable. And I looked up after a time and realized how far I began to drift from where I had plopped down camp. See, that's what comfort does spiritually. Spiritual comfort leads to spiritual collapse. And it's so easy to get on the raft called partially in for Jesus. It's comfortable. It's sunny. There are birds everywhere. The waves are just crashing. But when you look up, you will have drifted, and so many times drifted beyond regret. Are you all in for Jesus? Are you patiently enduring the suffering? Am I patiently enduring? I pray in 21 that it'll be your year and my year to not surrender some, but to surrender all. Amen. Father, we come before You as we lift up our hearts. We lift up our repentance. That's what we do. We we lift up our repentance to You. We want to be more like Jesus in 21. God, help us to be like Daniel. That on the front end, on the front end, he determined, he resolved, he purposed in his heart to not defile himself with the king's food. God, don't allow us to wait till we get in the trial to 
manufacture an escape plan. No, God, I pray that we would cling to You right now and know that our Redeemer lives. And no matter what happens, that we're we're going to follow You all the days of our lives. Father, I pray You would do something today. Stir. Holy Spirit, do the work only You can do. As we submit to You, as we give You praise, as we give You glory. I'm just reminded that Christ's likeness really is the goal. Christ's likeness really is the goal. As one person said, Christ's likeness is the substance of spiritual dedication. Gotta pray that in this time that we seek you and reflect and ponder, are we really all in for you? Gotta pray you'd raise up a generation. They're all in for you. That the revival, the reformation, the awakening would happen as we no longer surrender some, but we surrender all. To you be the praise, to you be the glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen, amen. You've been listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. Don't forget that all of these messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. That's thisdayministries.org. In addition, if you have been blessed by the teaching of God's Word during This Day in the Word, we would love to hear from you. Our email address is info at thisdayministries.org. Thanks again for listening as we strive to honor Christ and impact our world as we spend this day in the Word.